My name is Dr. Nate Shanock. And my name is Merrick Egbert. This is the official podcast of the Ells for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name, and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. Well, we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not a part of the podcast, I'm a member of our growing research team and a tennis coach. And when I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the gaps of each department like Lou. I am also autistic. This is our fifth episode. Employment is important for people with autism. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole, Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Nate, can you give us any news and updates about the foundation? Certainly, I'd be happy to, my friend. I'm happy to report that there's been a lot of exciting things going on at the foundation recently. We had our first Golf Challenge event in Atlanta, and let me just say it was a tremendous success. Our next event will be held in the lovely Hilton Head, South Carolina in a few weeks. Last week, some of our talented actors and actresses starred in a performance of The Adventures of Peter Pan, which was recorded on campus and shown live as a drive-in movie and was also available for remote viewing through Zoom. I'd like to give a huge congrats to all the kids and the staff who were involved in this four-star production. Voting has started for our annual Spectrum Award, which is given to an individual with autism that has made exceptional achievements personally, professionally, and in the community. Don't forget to vote. Lastly, there are some slick new Els for Autism t-shirts, hoodies, and coffee mugs available for purchase using the link that we'll place in our show notes. Do not miss out on this gear. I recently had a blog article published about the usefulness of job coaching with one of my coworkers, Shelly Hedge. And now we are going to talk to Rita Woolley, one of our esteemed job coaches. We will air the interview with her about being a job coach with us. As always. All right, it is my great pleasure to welcome another terrific guest to the program. Rita Woolley is officially a job coach with the foundation, but I know she provides assistance to many departments and in many different roles. And last but not least, she's also my office mate um, and she um, does a great job with that as well and putting up with me. Um, so Rita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so happy and just honored to, to be here and be interviewed for this. Awesome. Love it. So I mentioned some of your roles with the foundation briefly, but I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit more about them? 
Absolutely. So the main thing I do, or I guess the first thing that I was hired on for is a job coach. And I work as a job coach with our work experience program, as well as our supported employment program. So um, with the work experience program, I'm working with individuals in an internship setting and helping them uh, grow their skills and um, then with the supported employment program, that's more when it comes into vocational rehabilitation and helping those individuals get paid employment within the community. I uh, co-lead social group with Merrick, and that has just been, I think, my favorite thing <laughs> to do. Uh, we have so much fun with social group. Um, before COVID, I did also, um, organize our family roundtables. So the family roundtables were meant for our families. It was once a month. And basically we would have um, one specific topic for the month. And it was just kind of a way for families to get together and have a place to share their resources with each other. Um, you know, some of the topics we would do are law enforcement, um, and autism sensitivity training. We've done um, behavior, we've done um, meditation and different things like that. So it was uh, a really great tool for parents to access. Uh, obviously with COVID, we've had to put that on a delay because it was an in-person meeting. And then recently I joined our caddy team as a clinical intake coordinator. So CADI is our collaborative autism diagnosis and intervention program. And it is um, currently grant funded uh, and we are able to provide free evaluations to families that are, you know, seeking those type of services. And, um, you know, it's been really wonderful to, again, just provide such a great opportunity for families who may not be able to access that type of resource. That's certainly um, a wide array of different um, services and activities that you're involved in, but, but very interesting and, and exciting to hear about them. Um, so I was also wondering, and we asked this to most of our guests, um, but what motivated you to work in this field? That's a great question. So I actually had <laughs> no plan to work with autism or disabilities in general. I was going to school um, initially for my undergrad in social work and part of that program is you have to do an internship and I was wanting to go with a local juvenile detention center and they, um, I guess fortunately, not unfortunately, but fortunately they did not get back to me. And because of that, I ended up at Ells for Autism. And um, I think it just took a few days and I just fell in love with, with the clients in this population. and. I just knew in that moment, like, this is where I need to be. This is, it's kind of like destiny. This is just where I'm ending up. And um, working with one specific client, of course, in my internship, just watching her grow through the program and knowing that 
I'm the person there helping her and watching her just um, like blossom <laughs> into this yeah. um, whole other person. It was just like, it was beautiful. And really just, you know, having her show that, you know, she is just as capable as every single other person to do the work and do the job and get her things done. I mean, it was just such a, a wonderful experience for me and, and it really um, solidified my, my stay with Els. That's incredible. And I, I wanna point out that I think we have a lot in common as far as the motivating factors. I also did not really expect myself to go into the field of autism. It, it wasn't something that I had a lot of direct experience with growing up, but working at, at Ells for a couple days and it, it quickly, um, it, it's very easy to quickly become extremely inspired and just enmeshed in the, the culture of providing um, care and support to individuals with autism. So that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, even going through schooling, uh, I think I had one class that for one day during one lesson, they covered disabilities in general. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. this population really was just, for me, something that I, I had no experience with. And um, I'm, I'm grateful that Els still took that chance on me, even though I had no experience and uh, still took me on as an intern and eventually hiring me on. Well, we're all lucky that they did take that chance. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. <laughs> so last question for me, um, what are some of the businesses and organizations in the South Florida area that are, uh, that work with our clients and provide them opportunities? Um, there are so many, <laughs> yeah. and um, I I do want to say like one of our I would say like first really big partners that continues to support us to this day is PJ National Resort and Spa, um, as well as Jupiter Medical Center. They're both our partner organizations for our work experience program. Uh, PGA really kind of like set the way for everyone else and they were the the very first ones the very first cohort and they have continued to just hire our um our participants every single year and they are so accommodating and they also look at the individual strengths and decide with the individual like okay well you enjoy doing this type of work let's put you in this type of setting and all of the staff there are just wonderful and amazing and it's they really like I said just really kind of set the standard for everyone else and uh, some more local places we've had Joey D Golf, uh, Texas Roadhouse, Oceana Coffee, uh, Drive Shack, Culver's, Publix, East Point Country Club. We recently have um, partnered with Marriott Ocean Point uh, Dick Sporting Goods. I mean, <laughs> the list can obviously just go on and on. Uh, we have so many wonderful supporters. And if anyone is interested, we actually have a, a location on our website 
that says employer partners or become an employer partner and you can click on there you can read testimonials from our employers and if anyone is interested themselves in becoming um, a partner with us then they can reach out and we can uh, definitely work with them definitely great information there and yeah thanks for shouting out to those um, organizations that are so helpful to to our foundation and its goals so uh, now I'm gonna hand it off to my co-host Merrick okay so I would like to ask uh, more in-depth questions related to job coaching Awesome. okay all right so what does a job coach do when it comes to helping people with disabilities um, what do we not do, I guess, is really, <laughs> that'd be like the shorter answer. But um, I, you know, speaking from the L's for autism standard, uh, we really do so much to just make sure that individual is successful with finding their job and getting placed there. So, um, you know, initially when we start working with someone, we want to identify those strengths. And I know I kind of have said that a lot, but I think it's really important for, um, I mean, everyone to just kind of understand that when we are working with individuals, we're not going to just try to have them do every single thing that, um, you know, they might have a challenge with, we really want to build on their strengths to really help that success. Um, because we don't want to change that person. Uh, at least that's how I kind of view it is. I don't want it to, I don't want to take an autistic individual and put them in a setting where it's, you know, you have to act like a neurotypical. <laughs> I want them um, to just be themselves and not have to change. So we uh, work on their strengths and then we assist with their whole uh, job development process. So we might have to help them identify, you know, a specific industry that they're interested in, create a resume, do their um, help with their searching, you know, online. Uh, that's a big one right now because unfortunately there are a lot of um, like face fake online job postings and some of our participants have been contacted by like you know people that are um not really an employer and things like that so that's really big right now uh doing the application being there for the interview and um obviously on site as well uh doing the the onboarding and just making sure that they're they're stable in their uh job location uh, one big thing that we do at ELS is we provide an autism sensitivity training to the employers. So once someone is hired somewhere, we come in as a team and we provide that training. Uh, the training includes education on autism as well as explaining what the role of the job coach is because we want, again, to make sure that that's just a successful place that has you know, that understanding. We um, also go out and create carved positions in the community to help someone. So we might have an individual that really focuses on one 
um, task, or maybe they're really good at doing like these two specific things. So that is something a job coach will do is go out in the community and find local businesses that need someone to maybe work those type of tasks that aren't necessarily a position and will help carve a position for them. Uh, we also work on <laughs> social skills. So kind of explaining uh, how to work with a supervisor and how to properly have customer service and we create supports. And one thing that we're really lucky at ELS is we have the transdisciplinary team that we get to work with. So there's a speech language pathologist, there's a BCBA. Uh, we're able to collaborate with them and find out um, you know, what type of supports can we do to make sure this individual is, is successful. Wow. <laughs> You're basically the guardian angels of the population. Uh, in a way, I mean, I, I don't want to give too much to us because it really is so much about the individual and really keeping in mind that this job is for them. So it's not about just placing somebody in just some mundane job that maybe they're not interested in. Um, it's really just about them and you know, the work that they put in is the work that's going to come out. So if they also don't want to, you know, work on these things, then it might not be successful. So it's us, but it's just as much as the individual as well, I would say. So what has been the most rewarding aspect of being a job coach? Uh, it's definitely the the entire process. So what I mean by that is, you know, having a client that you're working with and starting off with them in training. So whether they're in that work experience program or we're just working on them one-on-one -on -one, uh, and going through all of the transitions to them successfully ex executing the skills that we've been working on in a paid position, is definitely one of the most rewarding aspects of this job. And lastly, uh, what is your advice to people looking for a job coach for a friend, relative, or other? Um, so I would say, number one, the biggest thing is to remember that your loved one is an adult. So making sure that their interests are first and making sure that a, the job is um, what they want to do. The other advice that I would give is for families and friends to really investigate the agencies that they are choosing to work with. So every agency kind of has their own um, specialty, I would say, with their job coaching. And not every agency is going to be a right fit for your loved one. So really doing that research to find out what kind of programs they have, what is the full extent of a job coach's uh, role? Are, is the job coach just there to find an open position, place your loved one there, and then that's it, they leave? Or is the job coach there for a longer time to really make sure that person's successful? Well, that's uh, sage advice. Um, yeah. So Nate and I 
really, uh, we'd like to thank you for uh, being, uh, for taking a part of your busy schedule to uh, interview with us about what it is like to be you and what it is like to be a job coach. And uh, we wish you the best in your definite uh, future endeavors with us. And hopefully, you know, you get more people into the jobs that they want. And we are just really, really pleased to have you on board our team, Rita. Thank it is you. A pleasure for us. Thanks Thank so much. You. <laughs> Thanks so much, Rita. Thanks for stopping by. Yes, thank you so much. And if I could just add one last thing that I want to just direct people to. Um, again, if you are someone that is looking to employ an individual of ours and you kind of don't know where to start, we do have free webinars on our website. And we have an entire employer series that talks about everything to do with employing someone with autism. And uh, the job coach team also created a whole um, online free webinar job development series to kind of help someone get started in that job searching phase. So I just would, they're really wonderful resources for people to look into. Excellent. Thanks again for the wealth of information and keep up the good work. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. It was really great. All right. Take care. You too. It is time to go over today in the world of autism, starting with my co-host, Dr. Nate Chinock and his fantastic research-oriented topics. All right, let's get it started. The first story that I'd like to cover comes from our lovely state of Florida. Um, I'd like to highlight that there is a navigator program which is housed in the Autism Institute at Florida State University. And this program offers a suite of web-based tools and courses to guide families, teachers, therapists, and doctors towards strategies that help facilitate learning in autistic students. The original aim of this web platform was to increase virtual accessibility to information and tutorials, which provide critical information for enhancing the goal of earlier autism diagnosis and intervention. This resource has shown to be even more essential during the pandemic shutdown of 2020 and has received heavy use, not only in the US, but around the globe. The largest course on the Autism Navigator site now reaches more than 50,000 people from 165 countries. Amy Weatherby is the director of the Autism Institute at FSU and one of the founders of this Navigator program. She was quoted as saying that when everybody had the scramble with providing valuable services and care to individuals with ASD, we already had a system all here and ready to go. I'll say. In March, a series of webinars was created for clinicians on virtually identifying early autism as well as the best strategies for providing mobile coaching to families. There are additional virtual family webinars, including lessons and activities that can be done with children at home during this unprecedented time. 
The Autism Navigator team will soon expand their offerings via a partnership with the Autism Science Foundation as they collaborate on the launch of a new virtual community for families. I highly recommend this resource as it has been useful to not only myself, but I know a number of other clinicians and researchers here at the center. Bravo to FSU. So Nate, can you explain to our listening audience why early intervention is so important and the earlier the better? Well, the reason, one of the key reasons why early intervention is so important is because autism is, as we know, a neurodevelopmental condition. And what this means is that many of the symptoms and characteristics of autism um, they can emerge or change um, to a large degree during those early and formative years of development. And so um, the, the reason for this is because it's believed that the brain is very plastic, um, especially during the early years in life. And so if um, an intervention, if autism is discovered early enough, and early interventions are provided, um, they can really help to shape and even in some cases alter that developmental trajectory. Um, and this can really just have a, you know, a cascade effect on later developmental outcomes. It can help a, help a child to reach their full potential later on. Um, and the earlier the better because we know that the, those early formative years, they're so important for brain and behavioral development um, and their lasting impacts um, from the environment that is provided during those early years. So I would like to transition now to a slightly different article. This is focusing on a research study that was done recently um, from a team at the University of Southern California, Los Angeles. And they did a study looking at EEG, uh, electroencephalogram, as a potential tool um, for finding autism, uh, for finding early characteristics of autism. So first of all, electroencephalogram or EEG is an advantageous method for measuring brain functioning because it is non-invasive and requires minimal sensory demands. There have been previous results showing that resting state EEG is a useful biomarker for classic autism characteristics. This technique may have the potential for early recognition of autism in infants, and it's also a really useful tool for tracking intervention progress over time. This was a tool that we used um, during our spring into action study where we tested the effectiveness of our spring into action early uh, parent-child uh, training intervention here at the foundation. Anyways, this study was from Dr. Shafali Sperling Jesse and her team at the University of Southern California. And they, what they hoped to do was to determine whether certain EEG traits detected at three months of age could predict the presence of autism symptoms at 18 months. The measure that they focused on here was coherence, which looks at synchrony, 
uh, between brain activity in certain brain regions, which basically it tells us about connectivity between certain areas of the brain. The study involved baby siblings who are 10 to 20 times more likely to have autism than the general population. And in their sample was 36 baby sibs and 29 control participants. They recorded the activity patterns in all infants at three months, and they measured repetitive behaviors and social communication difficulties using the autism diagnostic observation schedule at 18 months. And the autism diagnostic observation schedule or ADOS is the gold standard uh, tool for diagnosis of autism. The key finding was that children with lower connectivity within the frontal area of the brain, which this area is heavily involved in cognition and decision making. Um, so they found that lower connectivity within this area and greater connectivity between the right temporal and parietal lobes, which are regions that are important for social cognition and attention. These uh, this was related to uh, the presence of increased autism traits um, in toddlers compared to children who did not show these traits. These results suggest that the frontal lobe is less connected and the temporoparietal area overconnected in children who show autism traits at 18 months compared to controls. The findings suggest that EEG is advantageous as a tool for uh, predicting and highlighting early behavioral characteristics of autism, and it's, uh, it was effective in predicting uh, these traits at three months, which is very early in the uh, development of a child. So, Hopefully we will continue to see more studies on this um, and the development of, you know, specific EEG measures and almost uh, a diagnostic system using EEG traits. So anyways, enough science for today. I'd like to pass it off to Merrick for his relevant and current stories about autism. So my first story is about this year an organization known as Disability NIN has hosted its second annual Disability Inclusion Awards virtually on July 16th from Alexandria, Virginia. The goal of this business organization is to gather a collection of professionals from a wide range of businesses, promote greater hiring strides to place more disabled individuals into the workforce. As such, they gave 11 awards to different organizations and businesses to, who are promoting a more inclusive workforce. Some of the companies awarded are as follows. The Top Corporation for Disability-Owned Businesses Award went to Wells Fargo. The Top Corporation for Disability-Owned Business recognizes a corporation that has demonstrated outstanding inclusion of disability and certified disability-owned businesses including businesses owned by service-disabled veterans and demonstrated commitment to disability business inclusion in their supply chain processes and corporate supplier diversity programs. The 2020 John D. Kemp Leadership Award went to Chad Jurdy of Accenture. The John D. Uh, Kemp Inclusion Award recognizes an individual 
has developed or influenced the development of significant company disability employment programs and our services that resulted in measurable, tangible, and positive outcomes that dramatically improved disability employment opportunities. Uh, as for who John D. Kemp is, he co-founded the American Association of People with Disabilities. Then the 2020 Employer of the Year Award went to Merck. The Employer of the Year recognizes exemplary policies, strategies, and initiatives that have resulted in measurable results in the areas of disability inclusiveness in the workplace, marketplace, and supply chain. And some of the other winners and categories will be in the link that we will show on our show notes. Merrick, very interesting to hear about these companies who are providing um, tremendous uh, support and inclusion to individuals with disabilities. I was wondering if you wanted to give a shout out uh, to any other companies who, who were maybe not mentioned here directly. Certainly. We here at the foundation believe that employing people with autism is of such importance that last year we had an employment summit with sponsors such as SAP, EY, or Ernst & Young, DXC Technology, JP Morgan Chase, and the Aliski Family Foundation. From my personal experience where autistic employees were on a panel in a breakout room to, meet, to mingle also, and where I was able to communicate to so many people affiliated with our cause, it really felt like witnessing the wave of the future. We even had Randy Lewis, who used to be an executive at Walgreens, talking about how he started Walgreens, now award-winning focus on hiring the disabled, especially due to his son, Austin, who has severe autism. Maybe I would have considered Walgreens as an award winner. I mean, would make sense, possibly. Anyways, in 2021, we will hold another employment summit in March to get into the nitty gritty of all kinds of work that all autistic employees can excel in. And we expect to have Miss Temple Grandin as a keynote speaker. We'll be bringing you more information in October when we send out the official announcement. So our next one is about the Brewability family. Started by a special education teacher, Tiffany Fixter in the Denver Aurora metropolitan area in Colorado in 2016. Brewability is another destination for people who long to see more businesses making efforts to hire those with disabilities, especially for people with autism. Their mission is to hire employees with developmental and intellectual disabilities to serve customers and to also attend the bar, creating an atmosphere of communal positivity. In October of 2019, a new location for Brewability was opened, which will also situate the new Pizzability location. Pizzability is Brewability, but with pizza, which is supposed to open sometime soon, before the end of summer this year. It is, in my opinion, important to create opportunities for others, especially those who really want to work in populations that need work experiences. Now, the website and articles on brewability and pizzability will be on our show notes. So, if you had to start a business, Nate, to hire those with disabilities, especially individuals with autism, what business would it be? Well, I think I would have to stay 
with my comfort zone here, I would probably start some sort of business related to data analysis and coding. I, I know that individuals with autism in particular have made a big splash on Silicon Valley working for tech companies. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of individuals who really gain an excellent proficiency in, in programs like Python and MATLAB. Um, so I would probably stick with something like that. But what about you? I'd like to pass that question on to you as well. Since there are so many video game enthusiasts within the community, I would start up a retro gaming store that would also have its own indie gaming studio without crunch culture or anything else that would be corrosive to overall employee morale. And the technically focused people would be working in the studio while the fans without technical know-how would be working on selling product. We could even have a retro gaming magazine in-house which spotlights all the games in our store one by one and ones we haven't been able to receive yet. We would even find publishers and buyers for our own games that did not sell retro games so that we won't be in competition. I know that's a lot of uh, information out there about a simple thing such as getting people jobs. You know, that's supposed to be a very, very important, like one of the basic principles, but uh, I always have to up the ante on my am ambitious nature. <laughs> that sounds great. Starting a brewery or a, a pizza parlor doesn't sound too bad either. I think, I think you and I would like to go into business in that, right? Well, we could definitely do something highly technical. I mean, <laughs> if, if you, uh, you can probably do the analytics on, uh, what games sell the most, uh, what we should be focusing on regarding our independent work, that kind of stuff. I like it. Let's talk when we uh, sign off on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, as they say, let's do business. <laughs> let's, let's do lunch or dinner or breakfast. <laughs> Even if it's remote. <laughs> both have a sandwich from the same place except i'll have it at my place you have it at your place <laughs> i like it all right so as to not get too carried away together um before we go we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners and because of that, we will be seeing you again in September with some more coverage on us and the autistic community in general. Nate, let's do it together. Four. I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. 
moth is a butterfly without any colors But what's beautiful is what's inside Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide Well I'm just a caterpillar crawling around Knowledge in my head but my feet on the ground Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky Like a butterfly I wish that I could fly so high Oh like a butterfly I fly into the air so high Oh like a butterfly Like a bird I was meant to soar I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours You can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind In the future your eyes will light up To think that I was once a poor cat pup Will grow up and take to the sky like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly so high Oh like a butterfly I'll fly into the air so high, just like a butterfly. You'll be surprised at just what I can do. If you nurture me and you see me through. From a higher point of view We'll fly together, me and you Well now I can fly so high Cause I'm a butterfly I'm flying through the air so high Oh, I'm a butterfly I'm a butterfly